As the servers continue to, to take up our gifts, I um, want to remind you that we are in full swing in the camp season. And so last week, uh, 60 some odd uh, high school students and sponsors and that went up to Camp Sayokomo, which is uh, in southern Missouri, and uh, enjoyed a week. Uh, one of our former young Timothys, Justin Ebert, was actually the speaker, and uh, I heard great things about last week, and so we definitely want to pray for uh, the continued, God's continued work in them. So uh, how many of you were at Camp Sokomo last week? Raise your hand. We'll see you up front. Okay. Uh, so it was a great time, and I uh, want to continue to pray for the truths that they heard to uh, impact them. Um, and this today, just a few moments ago, actually Drew Henderson and his team took roughly 60 junior high kids up to camp. So pray for them. Uh, pray for them. What we're praying for, though, is that uh, as they have an opportunity to be in this very secluded and uh, uh, kind of a highly charged moment. How many of you remember like camp, junior high, high school, and it, was, it really made an impression on your life, right? Not that you still didn't make some terrible choices in high school and college. We're honest, right? Didn't, didn't save you from that, but it definitely set you in a direction. I'm grateful for those times. So, you know, we joke around a lot about those decisions that we make in junior high and high school at these high mountaintop uh, moments and experiences. And that's all that's true. I think God uses those. He uses those when we come down and kind of reflect more on it. And uh, I'm still grateful for guys. Weirdly enough, went to camp. Well, that wasn't weird that I went to camp in Canada because I'm from Canada. But some of the most impactful uh, messages that I heard uh, were actually from a couple of guys who ended up being uh, fellow alums from the college that I went to years later, had no idea about Joplin, Missouri, had no idea. But two speakers that I still think about a lot, messages that they said when I was in junior high and high school were actually from this area. And so grateful for that time. And so let's pray, continue to pray. Um, for our young people as they spend some time uh, devoting themselves to the scriptures because life is long and life can be rather uh, hard. I, I noticed that a number of you, especially when we sing that incredible song, It Is Well With My Soul, it just catches you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? it brings back a lot of um, ideas and emotions and there's a lot going on in our lives and it's just good for us to give those to the Lord, to surrender those to him and, uh, and, and to realize that, wow, we, we gotta be really careful thinking that we have it all figured out and everything's gonna go onward and upward from here because that just doesn't seem to be the natural way that life works. Up and down, hill, valley, hill, valley, up and down. And, and I wish life was more predictable. I, I really do. I wish that there was like an A plus B equals C formula for life. And, and yet it seems, and the Bible speaks so clearly to this issue, um, that it is all under God's divine control. It is all under his direction. It's very difficult, if not impossible, for us to correlate how everything works together so that you and I can then harness it and to control it. I wish it was that way. I wish that in the end, if I knew that I read my, the Bible to my children every night as they were growing up, if I just did that, then in the end, they would love the Lord like, like uh, their mom and I do. That's just not a guarantee. Like, I wish that if I just took my kids to camp, if I, if I just invited my friend to church and he heard the good news about Jesus Christ, then A, 
go to church, plus B, hear the message, equals C, a life in response and obedience to who he is. And that's not how it works. It's, it's interesting that the Bible describes a lot of what goes on in our hearts, in our minds, in our wills, as like a tree growing by streams of water. It describes it like, um, like a field that has been sown with seed. And it grows and it doesn't grow and birds come and take some of the seeds and, and Jesus, that's, that's kind of what life is like. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And that's where we are today. If you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew 13. 43 verses I wanna go through today. I'm not gonna be reading them all. And we are gonna be dealing with the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, two very short parables about yeast and about a mustard seed. And then lastly, we're gonna deal with, why does Jesus talk like this? Why is, why is this like one of the primary ways that Jesus speaks or reveals the truth about who he is and about the kingdom that he is establishing through his life, death, and resurrection and his message and his ministry? Why is it that way? If I were to go all the way back um, to the kind of the earliest times in my life, I, I still have very strong emotional connections um, to my early childhood years, very formative in my, in my thinking spiritually. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that my mom and dad accepted Jesus Christ. Um, they went to church, I'm sure at some level when they were younger. Um, they were nice people. They had three daughters at the time. And I'm sure they were just wonderful people but they were not followers of Jesus Christ. And a couple loved God and them so much that he shared the gospel of Jesus and my mom and dad went, we're in. This, this, I love this, this is great, this is, this is what we want. Eight years later, they have me, okay? I consider one of the highlights of my family. Um, <laughs> Definitely all I remember. And when I, when, I, when, I, when I think about growing up, I grew up in this really small church that for a while met in my home. And I'm thinking, like, I don't understand why this place isn't packed. Like, have you heard about Jesus? He is awesome. And I don't understand why. And I literally looked at this small little secluded group of followers of Jesus Christ in this great big city. And I just remember just thinking, where is everybody? And like, why isn't everybody in on this? Like, they, I, I bet you they haven't heard. Because if they've heard, there's no way they wouldn't want a piece of this. Life forever with God? Who wouldn't want that? And, and I, I, I really wrestled as I, as I continued to grow up and uh, felt alone most of my life. One of the primary reasons why I have, I, when I was little especially, I remember one of my primary reasons why I wanted everybody to, to come to church is because I just didn't want to do it alone. I think it's one of the reasons why my parents had six kids so that we would have at least a relatively good-sized youth group, you know? <laughs> I just, I wish, don't you wish there were more? Like, don't you love August better than June here? Just love all the, just the life and the vibrancy, Right? And Jesus is speaking to his disciples some amazing truths about the kingdom because I bet you in many ways they were, they were kind of like us. They, 
they, they were very much aware of the crowds, very much aware of the people and how they were responding to Jesus. And I guarantee you, they must have been really excited when 5,000 showed up. They must have loved it when 3,000 showed up. They must have loved it when they're literally tearing off the roof of this, of this, uh, of this home so that people can get to Jesus. Wow, this is really clicking on all cylinders now. But if you understand where we are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus presents in the Sermon on the Mount what kingdom life is like. Then in chapters 8 and 9, we see Jesus demonstrating what kingdom life is like, healing and raising the dead and doing all these miraculous things. In 10, he sends them out, and in 11 and 12, resistance begins. So imagine that Jesus has invited 12 young men to follow him. And and the kingdom is now here. And think about this. If the Jews had been waiting for hundreds of years for the kingdom to come, and now the kingdom is here, then the most natural response will be what? I mean, it's here. The most natural response is let's be a part of it. But instead of that, they're getting resistance. And Jesus stands up and he speaks a really powerful parable. He tells a story that the kingdom of heaven, that's Matthew's way of describing God's reign or the kingdom of God. In in, in Jewish circles, the, the name of God is so special, is so revered that they would take something else that would be associated with God, like heaven, and they would replace it for the name of God out of, out of reverence. So Luke would describe the kingdom of God and Matthew says the kingdom of heaven kind of line up with his audience. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a a sower that went out to sow some seed. And he was so generous and he was so um, almost reckless with this seed that he scattered it everywhere. He didn't carefully drill down and make sure that these holes were a certain distance apart. And he didn't cultivate that. No, what Jesus is describing here is just uh, the sower. The kingdom of heaven is like a sower who sows seed. And some of the seed lands on a rocky place, and some of the seed actually lands amongst thorns, and some of the seed grows up quickly, and then some of the seed actually really creates, creates a, a, a huge harvest. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And whenever Jesus speaks in parables, I'm always like, okay, so what do you, what do you mean by that? And I'm grateful that two of the parables that we're gonna look at today, Jesus explains And instead of just reading through it, because I'm sure you've heard the parable and you can look at it later today, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be. I want to look at his explanation because Jesus is preparing his disciples and we are those. Not all of us, but many of us are disciples of him and we want to know what is life in the kingdom like Um, for the eight-year-old Jim Johnson? Why is it that most people don't want to be a part of this? Question I've always asked Jesus says that the kingdom itself and the message of the kingdom actually generates in the audience, generates in our hearts, different responses. Different responses. One response that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, is, I don't get this. Not understanding now, I don't know about you, and I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna try to be transparent in, in front of you today in terms of uh, kind of how I've responded to this because truly, like, I get it. I read the Bible and I get it. 
Not that it isn't hard or not that I get everything, okay? But I, when, I, when I hear the Bible described, and I've always been this way, when I hear the Bible described, I go, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? I'm not smarter than you, I promise you. I'm not smarter than you, I'm not better than you. There's, but there's some reason, and it's almost, and I don't believe in magic at all, but I, I can't explain it, but when I, I remember as a little kid hearing the stories and going, oh yeah, well sure. Yeah, you were so naive. No, I wasn't. I was the one, oh, really? I don't think that. And then, but it, when it came to this, I was like, oh, okay, I get that. I'm gonna wrestle with that for the rest of my life, but I see where you're coming from on that. And Jesus says that when the good news about me is taught, when it is proclaimed that the kingdom of God is here, there are going to be some people that are gonna go, yeah, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, under, I don't understand. Verse 19 Here's how Jesus describes those. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, literally, kind of the word means to kind of like to think logically and to organize this, okay? It's not just the general word for knowledge, so it's not, it's not just a head thing. It's not, not something that I can argue you into. It's not a debate. Proved it, you gotta be a Christian now. That doesn't work. They hear the gospel, they don't, I just don't get it. The, the, it's not connecting. Notice what it says. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown, as, and sown in his heart. That, this is what was sown along the path. So along the path in the parable, those that are just taken up quickly, Jesus says, that's what happens. That's what describing, that's what it's like when people hear and then they just don't understand it. Now, I, I just wanna just stop for a moment so that you can recognize like, we're talking about real people. This isn't just some kind of academic exercise, but real people. I mean, honestly, real people that I know and that I care about, that I care for deeply. And I, I used to believe that if I just knew the right technique, if I just maybe demonstrated my love for them or my love for God just enough, that that would be enough to win them over, right? You ever been there? Maybe I can care enough for both of us. I don't get it. There's a young man that over the last few years, because of our trips to Israel, I've got to know. He's our guide. Jewish. And we have very interesting conversations about Jesus. And when we try to ask him, so, hey, what do you think? I think you guys are wrong. That's what he says to us. Like, I don't believe. How do you not do, didn't you just say and that this is where Jesus did these things? Like, didn't you just, don't you know? And the answer is he knows. He really does. He just doesn't believe. And I just look at him. Have you ever been, ever been here? How can I make you what can I do to just win you now, by the way, Jesus really isn't giving us like advice on how to. In, in this whole, not, okay, and by the way, here's how, there's five steps, right? Seven, seven steps, right? Everything in the Bible has to be seven or 12. Seven or 12 steps over 40 days, and then this is what you're gonna get. No, Jesus just says, there are going to be some who are not going to understand it. Response number two, short-lived joy. Uh, I've seen that. You ever been there? You ever been to church and so-and-so's excited and they're gonna get baptized today and 
Man, I just, uh, this is amazing. I can just see some amazing things happening in their life. And I have now officially been around long enough that I've seen a number of people get really, really excited and it just kind of fizzle out. But we're not talking about fizzling out, specifically what Jesus is describing here in verses 20 and 21. It's not the, the high school camp experience, but what he is describing is a very real situation, particularly in their world and in many parts of the world today, where something intentionally squashes this short-term joy. Verses 20 and 21, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. Jesus is the Messiah. God has forgiven me. God's kingdom is here. I want to be a part of that. Yet has no root in himself. The, the, the idea is not believing in himself, but has no root in it. There's no root. There is a, I like that idea, but I haven't really thought it through. Jesus loves to say to people who in a very quick moment are enthusiastic and excited, Jesus loves to say, well, count the cost. Like, don't be a fool on this. I want you to realize that what I'm asking you is not for a, a temporary one or two year decision. What I'm talking about is like a long-term thing here. And we are such a short-term culture. I actually was watching a television show. I can't remember what, which one it was, but there was a, a young lady who actually said, I was thinking about getting my, my husband's tattoo name tattooed on my arm, and then I thought, whoa, tattoos are permanent. I better not do that. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> like marriage isn't permanent, but tattoos are. We have such a, ah, we'll see how this goes. And Jesus says that there is no root. Count the cost because particularly to his audience, particularly to that crowd, particularly to those disciples, there was going to be hardships and difficulties that were going to await them. Look at this. It endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution... And don't make light of that. Don't just say, I remember junior high as well. No, we're not talking about junior high persecution. We're not talking about getting teased about going to church on Sunday. We're not talking about, we're not talking about peer pressure. We're talking about persecution, which is very real in many parts of the world. And these disciples are going to be tested. And what Jesus says is, listen, I don't need you guys to follow me while there's 5,000. I don't need you to just follow me while everybody loves me. I want you to know that in front of me is a cross. And in front of many of you are crosses. Are you still in on this? And so Jesus says, without that root, without that counting that cost, without that divine work, here's what happens. When tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And, and, and listen, I, I'm not here to go, oh, what's wrong with them? I, I don't know what it's like to literally have my life on the line like that. I mean, truly, I, I talk about going to Israel on a tour, and you guys are like, you are so brave. Did you almost die every day? Well, no, but we did ride a Mercedes bus around. It was awesome. <laughs> when you were on the Temple Mount, were there guns in your face? No, but there was this really nice Muslim guy that said, hi. Are you okay? Like, I don't know. I don't know what it's like. 
Jesus points to these men, and I want you to have it in that first context. Jesus, and it's still a very real part of, of a part of this world, and it may become, I, I have no idea, it may become a part of our world. Jesus says, in the midst of this, there will be some where I'm excited, and because of tribulation, I'm great distress because of persecution, they quickly fall away. And he's telling this to the crowds, and he's speaking this to the disciples because here's what I would do. Well, if people aren't accepting this, and if it's not worth our lives, then does it still have value? Let's see, because he's not done. There's another kind of seed that falls on a kind of soil um, response, fruitless faith. And, and by the way, I don't even know how much these are like totally different responses. Definitely, I don't think the parable is talking about stages of spiritual growth. He is describing what the kingdom of heaven is like And it's rejected by some because they don't get it. And it's given up by some because it's just too demanding. And then it is, there is something broken in this third system because it's fruitless. It just, it doesn't have, it's not real. Look at what he says here, verses, verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns that came in and choked it out. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, that one always hits me, the deceitfulness of riches and just all the stuff that's happening in this world. What's amazing, when I sing songs like It Is Well With My Soul, or when I sing songs about nothing, no weapon formed against us can stand and we're gonna win and who can be against us, I'm thinking about, yeah, the Johnsons. Who could be against us? I think about like my life and where I'm going and who could possibly stand for I am a child of the, and, and that's really not what any of those songs are about. It's not just talking about it is well with my soul because like generic, I mean, it's talk, these songs are for the most part, read the Psalms themselves. They are written about difficulty against the Lord's anointed. They are talking about difficulty as a church, as a kingdom citizenship moves forward and so often yeah I so know what that's like and I'm going through a really rough time right now and and hear me I get it that we are like I get it I know what it's like Andrew and I have gone through a lot of struggles in the last few years our family has and I know what those tears are like it is well But really, to understand this in its first context, it's talking about at the very core of who we are and what we are about, kingdom-minded people, that instead of it just being persecution from without, it can just be deceitfulness and just the cares of this world can be so distracting. Like, I can't even focus. You know, it's Father's Day, and we gotta make sure that we keep our priorities straight. By the way, happy Father's Day, okay? So here we are, we gotta keep our priorities straight, we gotta stay focused on this, and Jesus says that it is easy for those who are lured into just this life of just making it through the day, and and, and Jesus says, yeah, those things actually distract from the kingdom. This one definitely, I think, hits us a lot. It, It reminds us that when we are I'm hearing the gospel, when we are sharing the gospel, that we speak the whole truth about who Jesus Christ is. 
And that we recognize that as we speak the truth and live in the truth, that like we saw in the first case, there is an enemy who comes and snatches it away, but sometimes the enemy just wants to lull us to sleep spiritually. Like all he wants us to do is be distracted. Squirrel. And we become by the busyness of our lives, by our own success, distracted from the kingdom. I'm, I'm so busy building my own kingdom, I totally forgot I was a part of another one. I was so busy making my own choices and becoming self-actualized that I, that I missed that I was a child of the king. Like I missed that, that the energy that I needed, that I was not storing up for myself riches on earth where Everything could just fade away, but I should be storing up for myself things in heaven. And Jesus said that these thorns that come in and choke out our spiritual lives are the worries of this life. Anyone anxious? Anyone just overwhelmed by life? Anyone, anyone lulled into a sense of security? Because, actually, I can't remember the last time I prayed daily bread. Actually, we've got some food we need to get rid of in our fridge. Here, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about those things. I want you to be aware. And Jesus says that those kinds of things, when they become front and center, work against. So he is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to the crowds. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And there, are, there is wheat. There are, there are plants that are growing up. And these things that look great can actually be destructive to our own spiritual growth and development. They, they can be somehow leading us away from God's ultimate desire for us what does it say that these things do? The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. It proves unfruitful. This is, I think, something that is very true in the Western church. I care more about the church in America. I care even more about the church in Stillwater in terms of what's going on. And it is easy for us to prove unfruitful. And I'll take that in every way that the Bible describes it. Literally, us being faithful in recognizing and responding to what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in our lives. It is us becoming more like Jesus, kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused, missional living in every sense of the term, demonstrating what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ to the very core of my being as I live missionally for, for the kingdom of God. And I just, it's my, my temptation to get so wrapped up in the day to day that I forget eternity. I forget him. And Jesus says, weirdly enough, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Is that there are people that just get so wrapped up in this world that they forget the one who made it. That they forget the mission that should be going on all around us. They are completely disconnected from what God is doing, but they're still really nice people. And this is what we in the West have really become good at. If you want to just even recognize that, just, just listen to how people describe, and I'm not even saying they're necessarily wrong. I'll agree with half of what they say, and then the other half I've got an issue with. The part that I, I, I agree with is that the world is messed up. And it, it appears to be coming even more and more messed up. 
My assessment, this is just what Jim Johnson thinks. My assessment is, is that what has happened since the 50s and 60s is a greater freedom for us to just be whatever kind of plant we want to be. I don't know how much has changed. When you go back and you look at trends and when you look at different figures, it seemed, I, don't think, I don't think there was anything particularly spiritual about the 50s and 40s. But now that I'm free to do whatever I want to do without any restraint, and I think what the church in the West is experiencing is kind of the revelation of God that without these kind of societal pressures, all of a sudden we're looking around church going, wow, we're more messed up than we thought we were, aren't we? The church literally lived in this country for many, 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 many years with a don't ask, don't tell policy about what was going on in our lives. Sadly enough, that still exists in our church today. And what Jesus is doing is kind of pulling that back and saying, well, there are those who reject it. There are those who are gonna have short-lived joy and there are those that are fruitless. What does this look like? This looks like people who know how to, um, to, to, to be religious. I, I would say in many ways, like this would be kind of like my mom and dad before they came to know Jesus. Good people, uh, uh, quasi aware of God, and, but they weren't devoted to him. So even if they did anything noble or good, it was actually done for the family or it was done for whatever, but not for him. And Jesus says, this is what it's like. God sows these seed and some of it ends up here. Lastly, he says that there are those, and, and I love this, I, I needed to be reminded of this because I'll tell you, after hearing, oh, and these didn't work and this didn't work and this didn't work, it's like, is this ever gonna work? Jesus says in verse 23, and as for it was sown on soil, on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. This is the one, he is indeed the one who bears fruit and it yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, and in another 30. That just when you think that none of this is working, that just when you think, I don't get the point, when just when you think what Jesus says is, but God will not God will not abandon his message or his people or his plan. And so all of a sudden, now what I need to do is sit and realize that this is what the kingdom of God is like. And all of a sudden, I am here who is an active participant in it. But what this teaches me is that I can't control it. Like, I can't control it. I can't make it do what I want it to do. It's not A plus B equals C. It's God speaks the word, and a number of different things happen simultaneously as we go through life, and God is the only one who is sovereignly in control of this. This frees me up from trying to manipulate or to control spiritual growth in my life or in my children, and instead of me trying to work it or you trying to work it, it becomes us being faithful to what God has already said in his word what God is saying to us through his spirit and how God is leading us as a people. Instead of it just being, I got a really good plan and I've got a really great technique. It's, it's kind of like, what, what I, I always, whenever I read this parable, I always think of John chapter three when Jesus describes to this, to this religious professional, well-intended religious professional, Jesus says, that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. It just blows wherever it wants and it goes wherever it chooses. 
And I'm, I'm one of those people that just wishes I could just get a better handle on it. And God loves to say, no, this kingdom is mine. It's mine. And you are blessed. You are gifted, as Cal described today at communion. You are gifted. You are grafted in to be a part of this. Jesus tells another parable Kind of, kind of long, alongside that one of the parable of the, of the sower, and it's, this one is about like weeds that are growing up in the middle of it. Now, here's the scary part, right? Uh, I want you to just kind of take a, just a quick look around you. Take a quick look around you. See, there's people beside you. See any weeds? Let me know if you see anybody. Raise your hand if you, if you found, spotted one, right? Scott's got one. Okay, good. We'll talk about that after. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I've already, we'll talk after. Um, here's, what's, here's what's interesting. Just let, let this kind of sit on you for a moment. I've never met anybody who goes, yeah, I'm a weed. And I've never met anybody that didn't somehow believe that they were good soil. Everybody just, I'm good soil. I'm not, I'm not a weed, I'm wheat. I find that fascinating. Jesus describes just showing these disciples just how much God is and how God is in control and to humbly and confidently give them their place. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came twice now. We've seen that there's an enemy involved in this. His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go out and gather them? <laughs> like, we can do this. We can fix this. Like, would you want us to just kind of walk around in the field and gather up these weeds? Is that what you want us to do? And again, looking at the sovereign, direct control of God, um, it can be frustrating to us because when we see a weed, let's get it. Let's deal with it right now. Let's just, and I love how Jesus says, he says to them basically, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up, because you're not as good at this as God is, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. I do not believe what Jesus is saying in this parable, and the reason why is because there's far too many other teachings of Jesus Christ that would contradict this mentality. Jesus isn't saying, hey, let everybody just be themselves and, 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 and don't have any thoughts or don't, don't try to judge a tree by its fruit because who tells us to do that? Jesus does. Jesus says, I want you to be able to tell and you can recognize actually a tree. Good trees bear good fruit and, and bad trees bear bad fruit. Jesus says that we need to be aware of what is going on around us and even what is going on in us. But I love that Jesus reminds his disciples, listen, like you're not the ones ultimately in charge of this. This, this really kind of guards us against a, a legalism and a judgmentalism that is really not at the core of the gospel. 
Because at the core of the gospel is that God is in control of all of this. That God is the one who grants this. That God is the one who gifts this. That God is the one who rewards this. And what will happen to you and I when we decide to become just meticulous with this is that we will wreck it. So that doesn't mean that we can just, moms and dads, just I don't want to look at my kid's phone. I just don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to judge my, my kids' friends. I'm just going to let them hang out with any. That, that, that's not what the Bible teaches by any stretch of the imagination. Paul even says in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, I love this. Examine yourselves so that you might know that you are in the truth. Now, Jesus is very clear about that. But just like at a funeral when somebody says to me, well, do you think they made it? I love to remind them, well, you do know you're asking me, right? And I'm not the final one that assesses all of this. So if you're asking, what does some um, rather cute Canadian believe about what's going on here? Slightly overweight, but cute Canadian. If you're asking me what I think about that, then I guess I can give you my assessment, but you do know that I'm not him. By the way, this is good for even church leaders to realize that as we judge a fruit or a tree by its fruit that as we that we do so with profound humility king solomon i just want wisdom for who can lead this great people of yours but jesus is teaching this general parable that says listen there are in this room wheat and wheat Are you okay with that? Listen, it's just, it's the way it is. It's the way it is. And I believe that demands like a, a profound sense of spiritual dependence on God and his spirit and his word. It's why we don't just assume we're good soil. It's why we don't just assume that everything, but no, we go back not become some crazy skeptic. We go back to the word and the word confirms. We go back to the spirit and the spirit confirms. Lastly, Jesus tells two very short parables about the kingdom. So think about it. The disciples are learning this. It's not just going to mean that everybody's going to be a part of what you're doing. And by the way, even what seems to be, Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, that there are wolves among us in sheep's clothing. So Paul says to the Ephesian elders, there are wolves among our midst in sheep's clothing. So that, that, that lines up with this truth about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. But now Jesus wants them to realize that the way the kingdom work runs counter to just normal cultural expectations. I think it's definitely true in our day, but it was probably true in, 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 uh, in Jesus's day as well is that once this thing gets started, then there can be no setbacks. Like once this thing gets moving, even if you were to ask today a Jewish person, why don't you believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Do you want to know one of the number one reasons why? Because the Israelites way back 2,000 years ago rejected him. And there's no way we would have rejected him if he was true. It's one of their arguments. There's no way the people of God were going to miss this. So Jesus is trying to prepare them for the fact that you're not going to start with 5,000. 
You're not going to start with 20,000. You're not going to, and then it's not going to go to 80,000 and then 300,000. This is, by the way, is every discipleship or um, evangelism book that I've ever read goes something like this. You're one person, but if you share the gospel with one other person, how many are you now? Two. And if the two of you share with one other person, how many are you now? Four. And if the four of you share with one other person, how many are you now? Eight. And if, you see where I'm going with this? Right? And Mark, you can do the math for me. If you keep on going, actually a number of you in this room can do the math. And if we keep on going, right? Within like 30 days, the whole world will believe. Boom, we win, right? But I've never had an evangelism book and say, and on day five, half of the people believe a false teaching. It's not in any of my books. On day eight, a leader of eight other people has an affair and abandons the faith. Day 15, find out that Joe is actually a fruitless person, right? Day 28, that doesn't have it, it's just, it's just math. I find one, we find two, they find four, then eight, and that is just so not the way the kingdom works. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be what God wants it to be. I love these two very short parables. He put another parable before them saying, verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. I saw one just a little while ago, this tiny little black dot. That, look, that, that a man took and sowed in a field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it is larger than all the garden plants, and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven, till it worked through everything. Jesus is saying to the disciples, and we need to hear this, that listen, it's not under your control and it's, it's messy, but it's God's and it's going to work. It's going to work. It's one of the big reasons why my wife and I have absolutely thanked God for our time in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We didn't come here because it was the biggest of all the cities. And we didn't come here, you know, we, we came here because the Lord said, I want you to go there. So we came here. And we didn't just fall in love with the people, we fell in love with what God is doing here. And big or small, that's not for me to determine. Big or small, it's not, it's not, that, that's not on my pay scale. That's on his. But I do know this, it's going to do its work. Oh, now I want you to put that in your context. In your family, it's going to do its work. You be faithful. It's go, I want to put that in your workplace. It's going to do its work. Us in our community, I, I promise, if we recognize and respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing, if we remain faithful, as we remain faithful, God is going to do the work and we are yeast and we are that seed. And it doesn't mean we're gonna grow and be the biggest church or we're gonna grow and there's gonna be more Christians, and but it is going to accomplish its purpose. It's going to start like this and it's going to do its work. Do you trust God's word like that? Jesus is instilling that in his disciples. Let me close with this. So why does Jesus talk like this? Like these are weird stories, aren't they? I've heard preachers say this, Jesus talked like this because everybody loves a good story. Don't you love a good story? 
They're really memorable. Jesus talked like this because everybody gets sowing seeds. No, actually, most of us don't. So why does Jesus talk like this? He tells us why. Verse 13 through 17, Jesus says, this is why I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Basically what Jesus is saying is I am speaking like this because there's a lot of people who as I speak like this go, who cares? And they walk off. Here, did you, that, that might sound strange. Jesus speaks like this so that those who don't want to hear continue to not want to hear. Very, very few have I ever heard. I've never, I, very seldom do I ever hear that message actually being taught. Jesus is unbelievably clear. Jesus tells a parable as a little bit of a teaser. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. And, and there are some that go, hey, I want to hear more about that. And others that go, I don't even know if I care about that. That's why Jesus tells parables. Parables sift us. Parables sift us. I have spent the majority of my adult life trying to interpret the scriptures learning how to interpret the scriptures, teaching others to interpret the scriptures. And what Jesus is saying, and particularly these parables, are actually the ones interpreting me. That it's not so much that I am here to try to figure out what the parable means, but the parable, by its nature, I believe God's truth, by its nature, is already sifting me. So let me close with a blessing. And I pray this falls on you. Be careful assuming, by the way, that you're good soil or don't just assume you're bad soil. Examine what kind of soil you are. Ask if the deceitfulness, deceitfulness of wealth is choking you out. Ask what happens and have you counted the cost. See if you're seeing fruit grow in your life. Recognize that there's a mess around us, but we're gonna trust God with this as you disciple and raise your kids and as you interact with your community, as we live faithfully in obedience, following God. But the beauty of it is, Jesus says, but blessed are your eyes, speaking to his disciples, and I believe speaking to many of you. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And that's why Jesus loved to say when he would speak, for he or she who has ears to hear, let him hear. I'm asked this question a lot. Jim, why do you believe? Like, Why do you believe in the kingdom? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe? And I used to have an answer. It was, well, I could tell you why, because who else made this place? I could tell you why, because, well, how do you explain the rest? I could tell you, no, but why do you believe those things? And I am reduced now at 48 years of age to say, I don't know exactly why I believe. 
but I am so grateful to God that I do. And here's what I do know, that God does not turn away a heart that pursues him. By the way, I'm not saying, have you lived a perfect life? I'm not asking, have you got it all? I'm asking, do you desire to know the truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth about yourself, and will you follow it no matter where that leads? And if you do, you don't need to worry whether or not you're good soil. God will do the work on you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this parable, for these parables, for the truth that is spoken to me. Father, forgive me for always trying to interpret when sometimes it's just good to stop and to reflect on what's happening in me. And God, I thank you um, for the desires of my heart that you have worked on. Father, this, this sermon and this, this message brings about a ton of questions that we will spend the rest of our lives trying to work out. Well, why? And why didn't it work here? And what's wrong with them? And, and this, these parables don't even try to explain that. But it does speak the truth about your kingdom, and it does speak the truth about what it means to belong, to be a part of, and I pray that we would seek you with all of our heart and believe that we, when we do that, will find you and that you eagerly and earnestly reward those who do. We know that truth and we trust that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now let me say, I'd love to continue this faith conversation, so please feel free to come down and we've got a number of people that would love to talk with you. Last month in May, I basically said at the end of the service for Mother's Day, hey, listen, love your mom, make sure that you call them, make sure that you just let her know how much you love her, but today is Father's Day, so text your dad, okay? <laughs> text your dad. By the way, two out of three of my sons say I'm the best dad ever, so two out of three, can't be wrong. Love you guys, we'll see you next week.